Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Volunteering versus being voluntold versus those times when we actively say, yes, you can count on me. Actually, it would be my honor. Unfortunately, I have a wonderful friend who has stage four pancreatic cancer and is in her last weeks of life. And I had the opportunity to go and be with her up in the Bay Area last weekend. And at one point during the time that we were together, which was, of course, very sad, but also very rich. And sometimes people leave our lives and we don't actually have a chance to say goodbye and to tell them in ways that they can hear how much they mean to us. And I lived in the Bay Area like 25 years ago. And I got to reconnect with all of these people who had been part of my community when I lived there. And That was really lovely. And towards the end of the weekend that I got to share with my friend, she asked me if I would get in touch with the people who will be taking her body after she passes from this life and be accountable, be count onable for getting that safely to the crematorium and then working with her children to have her ashes spread. And that was one of those things that, of course, if I had it all my way, my friend would not be dying. That would be my preference. Thank you very much. And that's actually not an option on the table. So given the reality of the options on the table, I was honored to be asked. I was honored to be able to say, yes, you can count on me to do that. It would be my privilege. Which brings me to my guest for today. I have known Jeff Cohen for about a decade. And like many relationships, we've fallen in and out of communication. We've fallen in and out of touch over the years. And because we really like each other, I follow what he's up to, even when we're not really in touch. He follows what I'm up to, even when we're not really in touch. And he recently reached out and we had the opportunity to reconnect And I thought it would be a wonderful idea to have him here on the podcast as my guest. Jeff is a seasoned entrepreneur. He has founded and grown a number of multi-million dollar technology and manufacturing businesses. I didn't even know this, you guys, but he gained national attention when he appeared on ABC TV's Shark Tank season one. 
And he was the first company that Shark Tank ran a success story on in season two. How cool is that? And he's my buddy. Jeff has a new book that is out that is called Count Onable. And he presents Count Onable as a new and rapid success framework that guides CEOs to make things happen. And one of the things that I think is really cool about this book is that it is highly readable. Each chapter is really brief, like three to four pages, four to five pages, so that you can pick it up, read a chapter, and then put it down and we've accomplished something. You've gotten something done in your day. So I am thrilled to welcome Jeff Cohen to the show. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Janine. And I'm honored to be here. And there's a lot I want to say about what you just said about me before we do that. I really want to acknowledge you for being there for your friend and being someone that she knew she could count on. Like I actually had tears forming in my eyes as you were sharing that story because I can't tell you how many times in my life I've seen that. So this is a happy event for us and like there's emotions, right? So I just really acknowledge you for that. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's so great to fall back into your world and just so people get like how that happened this time, I'm publishing this book and I've decided I'm going to look for some podcasts I can get on. And lo and behold, Janine is doing a (laughs) podcast now. I had no idea. Not only that, it's directly associated and affiliated with what I'm talking about in my book. Right. So perfect. So like worlds line up and it's just amazing. So first off, yeah, thank you for that great introduction. I'd like to just say for anybody that is looking for like, why count Honorable? So if you think about it, and Janine shared this as she was sharing her story, there's real pride associated with being able to say you can count on me. Like people have that, right? And what I found over the last eight years of really distinguishing the issues associated with the way businesses are run is that from the very top, there's this notion that everybody should be accountable, right? And they should be accountable. I'm writing them a paycheck every week so that they can be accountable to me. And the issue that most organizations have is that accountability really takes two people. So generally speaking, there's only one person in the company, in my opinion, that's accountable. And that's the founder CEO. Like if you take that job on, you are now accountable for the lives of everybody that works for you and you're accountable to the board of directors or whomever it is that you report to and it might just be your spouse. Right. (laughs) You are accountable. Now, there's nothing good or bad about that. And I learned in a program called the Team Management Leadership Program how to embrace being accountable. But in the real world, The last time most people have heard the term accountable was at six o'clock last night on the news when someone was going to jail or there was a politician that they didn't like. And if you just consider the look on people's faces when you say, so you are accountable for this, you will just know that they are resisting it as much as possible. And there are very few people in this world that revere the word accountable. So Since it does take two people to be accountable, 
It's also their experience that they get a phone call at four o'clock on Friday from you saying, oh, by the way, is it done yet? And you're in the middle of something else or talking to a customer or working on a delivery, whatever that is, right? right. Like, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. Is what done yet? Exactly. <laughs> and you're just caught off guard. Right. Because there's not a system or process in place. And so what I found when I took this team management leadership program in 2013 to 2015 was I quickly got 50 CEOs, business owners, and entrepreneurs together. And we started looking at what wasn't working in our businesses. And what we found was a common thread. 50 (laughs) businesses, all kinds of industries. And there's a common thread of when things don't work. Which is pretty cool. Right? How can that be? But but my business is different. My industry is different, right? Right. You pick up the trash and I'm a healthcare executive. How can we be having the same problem? Exactly. So what we found was people define effective communication differently. So, you know, one way of defining it is I tell you something or I ask you something and you say yes. (laughs) You say, great, I got it. Right. You both part ways. But you don't know if I got it. I may have no idea. Like, have been making a grocery list in my head when you were asking me. (laughs) Listen, we all know whether you're willing to admit it or not, when someone is talking to you, you've got this little bug in your head and it's jumping up and down on your brain saying things to you, totally distracting you. Now, sometimes it's really, really loud. Sometimes not so much. But it's there. And if I don't ask you, hey, by the way, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. What did you get? <laughs> if I just do that. Yeah. Then because odds are like I was talking to one of my CEOs today and I said to him, OK, so what I hear you saying is we need to do this, this and this. And he says, yes, got it. I said, oh. Let me just check in. What exactly <laughs> did you get? What did you get? He had to think about it. Yeah. Now, he got it, but he was going to write an email and hadn't clarified based on that what he got. Not a problem. But that's one of the things inside of communication that is often found to be ineffective. And I love what you're pointing to there because sometimes in the world of business, as we all know, depending upon who our boss might be or what the organizational culture might be. If it's a dog eat dog kind of place and I tell you something and then I say, so tell me what you heard. You might think that I'm doing that to get you. You might think I'm doing that as an I got you because I know you didn't get it. Versus if what we are working on creating is an organizational culture where people feel supported, where people feel safe, what Amy Edmondson has termed psychological safety at work. If we're really about trying to create the culture where people are learning and it's okay to make mistakes. And so if you say to me, so what did you get? What did you hear? And my answer is crap. I actually don't know. Then like, it's okay. You can say it again, right? It is a safe space for me to be honest and say, you know what? 
I am doing that because it's a social convention. I'm doing that because you're the boss. I'm doing that to look good. And I actually don't know what I'm supposed to have gotten. So can you do that again for me, please? And I'm going to listen a little more closely this time. So I actually in the book, so the book is called Count Honorable, right. a practical guide to lift, shift, and empower you and your team. And what's there is I'm actually patenting this process. The patent is pending right now and open sourcing it to the world. You can just buy the book. And what's different about Count Honorable versus some of the other great systems, because there's some really great ones like Gino Wickman's Entrepreneur Operating System and Vern Harnish's Scaling Up. I love those systems. The thing I've noticed about those systems is they give you the frameworks. They say things like you want to have the right person doing the right job at the right time. And I don't think there's a single person in the world that would disagree with that. Who would say that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> What's missing is how do you know you have the right person? How do you know they're in the right job? And how do you know it's the right time? And I don't know if your system talks about this, but then what do you do if you figure out they're not? Well, you figure out like you've got some great people and they're not in the right seats. You need to change the seats on the bus. The first section of the book are stories about me and my life and what compelled me to write this book. You're going to hear all about the things I failed at because in my opinion, I can tell you success stories all day long and that might motivate you. When I tell you my failures and how I've overcome them, then you'll learn something. You might actually find it actionable yourself. The whole second section, which is about half the book, is the trust alignment framework and every step in the process of the Next Level 90 Business Accelerator Program that helps shift a culture from being accountable to being count-onable. And in there, I tell you what I've done with over 300 companies that has them know they have the right person doing the right job at the right time or not. I give you the things to say to somebody when they're behind schedule, when they're not doing something. Because the very first chapter in the book is called Grand Theft Auto. It's time when I stole a car. How old were you when you stole this car, Jeff? I'm not going to tell you, but <laughs> they can go to countonable.com, the website. There'll be a little pop-up window. If they have their pop-up blocker on, just go to the contact page and send me a note. I will send you the first chapter. <laughs> it's a great first chapter, everybody. I have already read it and it's delightful. That's why I was asking him that softball question. Right. But in there, I discovered my number one trigger. And I don't think people really recognize this, but we have something that triggers us. Sometimes we have more than one something. <laughs> yes, we do. I have a wife. She knows them all. <laughs> They get used, all of them. <laughs> Difference is, is that I focused my life so much on training around communication that now instead of arguing with her, I've been able to get to where I can take a deep breath, like I'm doing now. And then I say, hey, honey, you just triggered the hell out of me. Are you sure you want to talk about this now? Right now. <laughs> Believe it or not, sometimes the answer to that is still yes. Yes. 
<laughs> right? Isn't that the funniest thing? Yes. And I know your delightful one. Totally gets it, right? Right? It doesn't matter whether it's business or work. I've carried these triggers with me for 50 years. Our triggers are our triggers. Doesn't matter where we are in the world. And the thing is that I actually go into some detail in the book is as a manager, you're going to have somewhere between four and eight people that report to you, generally speaking. Once a week, you're going to trigger each one of those people. And when you do, you're going to get 20 to 30 minutes of reasons why and justifications why. And really, all you just want to know is, when am I going to get it? Am I going to get it? Are you the one that's going to do it for me or should I find somebody else? The problem is, is that most people are generally people pleasers. And here's the bigger problem. Most of our business cultures have a penalty zone. Now, I just want you to get this. This is really important. It's one of the most important things you'll take away from this conversation and the book. Business is not hockey. We do not have a penalty box. (laughs) But we think we do. We don't want to take our people out. I've got a client. I love these guys, two business partners. One of them is a real sales driver. The other is more of a marketing guy, an operations guy, and a little more mellow. They are highly effective working together as a team. Been working with them maybe four years. And the CEO would occasionally get mad at his partner and say something aggressive. And the partner would check out for three or four days. I started talking to them about outcomes. Because when you have effective communication and you think about the outcome you want to have before you communicate, (laughs) it's possible to empower people instead of disempower them. When you're empowering people, now they take pride in what they're doing and they jump forward. When you disempower them, they take off for three days or they become really ineffective because they got this last conversation going through their head. It's taking them over. and you're not creating leadership in the people that you want to grow. So I get a phone call about a year ago. The CEO calls me up and he says, hey, Jeff, I did it. I said, what? I remember what you said about outcomes. I said, wow, that's a win. (laughs) And how did it go? He goes, well, I was just about to yell at our COO. And then I just stopped talking. I said, what's the outcome of that? Yeah. Still working. He's still working. <laughs> About an hour later, I get a phone call from the COO. Hey, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. You know that stuff you were saying about outcomes? <laughs> oh, my God. It totally works. <laughs> he called me on something, was getting upset, and then just stopped. <laughs> Took a couple of deep breaths. Change the subject. It was amazing. So I know people have emotions. We all have them. When we communicate from them, you don't get the experience of empowering people. You get to be the most important person, the most powerful person, the person that's feared. And that's not how you create leaders and leadership in an organization. It is definitely not how we create leadership in an organization. And I want to dive in there a little bit. Because obviously, if we are coming from an emotion that is destructive, that is hurtful, or we're frustrated, or we're angry, or we're annoyed, or wherever we might fall on that spectrum, we're not going to call forth the best in our people. Versus 
if we are in an emotion called grateful, if we're in an emotion called appreciative, then we may be coming from a great place where we can empower our people. I want you to tease apart a little bit this idea around coming from emotion as sort of an inherently negative thing, if that's what you meant. Well, here's the thing. We all have emotions. Right. We get to choose how we use them. That is true. Right? Let's face it. We can all be angry. We can all be sad. Right. We can all be happy. You get to choose how you want to be. Now, if you let your emotions dictate how you want to be, you probably have high turnover. And let's face it, you can't pay your people to be around you. You just can't pay them enough money to be around that for long periods. You may have some people that are inherently, it's likely they're feeling stuck. But if you operate from a place where you're able to distinguish a process and steps, now, instead of coming at it from, I'm so pissed off at you, you can start coming at it from, oh, we have this priority action list. In the book, I describe how you get to have a priority action list and what the meeting schedule that you want to take with your people is that would have your priority action list be operated on effectively. A lot of the other programs I talked about earlier, they have like a quarterly meeting. They have maybe a monthly touch point. Every couple of weeks, they might check in with the CEO. My program is for the whole company. Yes, I usually start with the CEO because they've got to really buy in and want to do this culture shift in their company, right? But if they like it and they see that it can be effective, then we bring in the senior executive team and we start rolling it out to their direct reports. And what we start being able to develop based on the experiences that we have with our people is a list of tasks that we can count on people for and a list of tasks we cannot count on them for. Because there's one thing, Janine, and you come from an HR background, so I know you know this. We're in there interviewing people, and then the hiring manager gets involved. Now, they gave you this job description to go and recruit for them, and you found the perfect candidates. And they interviewed two or three of them, and they land on the one. They are so excited, and then they're in that final interview. The person knows this is the final interview. And the person really wants the job at this point. Doesn't matter why, whether they need it, want it, like it, doesn't matter. The hiring manager really wants them. And they know they have some gaps on their team. So they say to this person they're about to hire, hey, by the way, I love that you can do all of this stuff. Can you also wash the dishes? <laughs> if I want that job, I'm going to say yes. I'm the best dishwasher you've ever met in your whole life. Well, that's what my wife did with me. <laughs> they just sit in the sink for two or three or four days till I get around to them. And I eventually wash them when the sink is full. But notice that's what occurs when you hate doing something. Right. <laughs> it doesn't cater to your strengths. Right? Right. And you're good at it. I am not a good dishwasher. <laughs> But we do that to people all the time. And I'm going to turn it around for a second, Janine, because this is perfect for you. What would you call it when you have an employee that's doing a job that caters to their strengths, that they love doing and that they're good at? What would you say? 
I would call them a perfect fit. I would call them an all-star performer. I would call them a high achiever because they're going to keep performing exactly as I need them to perform because they're in exactly the right job. Right. They're your dream employee. Now, you know what they would call it? They would call it their dream job. The thing is, most organizations do not have a way of assessing where people are at at any point in time, even when they have an annual review process. And I can tell you, and it's not in the book, and I promise I will write about it in my next book, stories about how I grew. I went to work at IBM in the tech explosion. I got offered a job by fast-growing internet company. I killed it there. And then I got fired when they were going out of down the tubes, right? And then I went to work for another company and I started my own business and I decided, hey, wow, we grew from zero to 50 people. We're on track to do 20 million in revenue. This is under three years. It was a run. And I loved that. And 2007 came and every single one of our clients at the same time, and they were all like Fortune 500, Global 2000 companies said, hey, we love you guys. Right now, we're putting everything on hold. Till when? We don't know. So I wound up going out of business and it killed me. I had to shut the company down. And so I started this little granola bar company and I got on Shark Tank with it. And we started having some fun with that, right? So time went on. There was no money in the food business and I needed to make some money. So I called my old boss from IBM and she helped me get back in. And Nothing made me more ecstatic than doing that, except I wasn't CEO. I was calling on all my big Fortune 500 accounts like Intel and IBM and and Kaiser and Cisco and other companies. And like that was my jam. And I loved doing that, but I wanted to be CEO, right? Right. But they hired me because of my experience from the past. So I went from that after two years to another sales gig to a third one because I didn't really want to be selling. I wanted to be operating and growing and being in the entrepreneur that I am. And none of them had a mechanism to identify that. And no one actually ever asked me what I wanted. They all hired me because of my experience. I can do that job. But when you take someone that you've hired for a job and then say, can you wash dishes for us? You've now taken your A player and made them a B player because they are going to disappoint you from day one. And people don't realize that. And they do it all the time. And as you and I continue to age, we're all aging, but you and I are about the same generation. And the workforce in just two and a half years, 75% of the workforce will be millennials and Gen Zs. And the big, well, they care about a couple of core things. One of the core things that they care about is, am I treated as a whole human being and not just a producer of work, does somebody care about my progression in the job? And do I understand how this job is connected to how my job connects up to the purpose of the organization and how the purpose of the organization is helping to make the world a better place? their key metrics around what they're looking for in a job are very different from the key metrics of what I was looking for a job when I started out. And what you're pointing to is exactly the things that these generations coming up in the workforce care about. So you know what that's called? That's called the alignment framework. Awesome. 
So I know that you've got a couple of key frameworks and I want us to get to talk about those before we have to close out for today. Got it. And for those that might be watching, I can share my screen and actually show it if that's possible. Absolutely. And for those who are listening, you will be able to find these in the show notes as well as on the Count Onable website, countonable.com. Yes. Excellent. I actually own that word. Nice. Believe it. <laughs> I have the URL. It's mine. <laughs> in this day and age, to say you have a word on as a URL, that's a big deal. That's awesome. So let me just give a brief view into what the trust alignment framework is, because what that looks like for those of you that can see it is there's three frameworks in the book, right? There's the trust framework, the alignment framework. And then when you put them together, it changes a little bit because generally speaking, you either have trust or you don't, but I promise it's always being questioned. Generally speaking, you either know what the CEO wants or you don't, and you're just doing your job. Now, my take on it is when it comes to alignment, if the CEO and the team know the leader's vision, there are priorities that are outlined by the CEO to focus on, and they've done an effective job of communicating. And Jeanine, you and I were talking about that earlier, right? It's not just, I got it. Actually knowing what somebody got, and I have a great lesson in the book about how to know you're communicating effectively, then it's possible there's alignment. It's like you have five executives, instead of being in sports cars, going on different freeways in different directions and landing in San Francisco, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, and Phoenix, Wyoming, <laughs> Yep, they're all on their way to San Diego together because that's how they support each other. And then there's trust. So it's really hard to have trust if you're out of alignment, because then what can you actually trust? I often hear people saying, yeah, I trust my boss or my CEO. And then I ask them, what do you trust them for? <laughs> that's such a great question. What there's a million answers for? to that. Yeah. And to have trust, there ought to be some shared values in the organization. You ought to know what the abilities of people are. And oh, by the way, for both of these frameworks, effective communication, again, really important. So you have all that. None of it matters if you lead from your emotion and don't think about the outcome you want before you speak. So that's really important. And when you look at the book, when you read the book, and I invite you guys, like if this speaks to you and you're a company with 20 to 200 employees or more, and you want to have a conversation, reach out to me on my website, send me a note. I'll be happy to make some time for you and get engaged because this is the stuff that as an owner of a business will have you either have your company run and grow with and without you have your family have you for 100% of your vacation instead of you working two to four hours a day. By the way, that goes for you executives too that are the most important people in your organizations and haven't trained others to lead. This program will have you create leaders that create leaders and leadership so that you can have a life which is so critically important these days. I mean, the reality is 90% of managers have never been taught how to manage effectively. And so I am a huge advocate of 
training our managers. Usually people become managers because they were a great frontline performer in doing whatever it was that they were doing. And they then became a manager. But most people, have, as I said, 90% of people have never been trained in how to manage effectively. It's true. And this is a coaching program. Either if you have a coach, you can do it with them because everything is in the book. And when you come to the website, you'll be able to download all the forms and everything. Like it'll all be there when we launch the book on June 14th. And in the meantime, if you're interested and want a conversation to learn about it more, because it's intriguing, would love to have that with you. And I know, Janine, we're coming to the end of our time. So if you don't mind, I'd just like to share again, two things. Please. One is, first off, I love you. Uh, Thank you. I love you too, Jeff. I'm really grateful you invited me today and so excited to be like reconnected with you and Jonathan. Yeah, thanks. And secondly, come to my website. It's countonable.com. If you don't see the resources that you need there, look me up on LinkedIn or Instagram. Just type in countonable. There's very few references. It's a new word. It's rarely used. I promise you'll find me. And I'll leave you with this. Stop being accountable. Be countonable. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for your humor. Thank you for your deep love of this work. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your knowingness about the power of talking about when we have failed and what the power is to create lessons in that. When I'm working with clients, I'm always talking about when we've created a culture in which it is not safe to fail. We've also created a culture in which it is not safe to learn. And I so appreciate your embracing and walking the walk of that. You are a delight. I am so happy to have had the opportunity to get reconnected and connected in some deeper sorts of ways. So thank you for your friendship and thank you for your wisdom and thank you for joining us here today. I don't know if you can see, there's goosebumps on my arm right now. (laughs) I just had the, like, wow, what an enormous acknowledgement. Thank you, Janine. Really grateful. Super grateful. (sighs) I am Janine Hamner-Holman and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.
Amen.